Well, I had the opportunity to speak with Dr. Lane Jonas, who is one of uh, the speakers at our annual international conference in San Antonio, Texas, later this year. And Dr. Jonas is a uh, certainly widely published investigator. He's also a practicing family physician over uh, 35 plus years. He's a professor of medicine at Georgetown University and Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. He has really traversed the um, integrative medicine movement for uh, well over 30 years. He is the uh, original director of the Office of Alternative Medicine at the NIH. Um, and he was also just uh, recently and for many years the executive director of the Samueli Integrative Health Programs where he uh, really did a lot of groundbreaking uh, research and policy work. And most recently he has written a, a wonderful book called How Healing Works, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit um, because uh, I had the opportunity to, to read that and it was just a, a, a great um, overview and uh, had some uh, important, I think, um, areas where we can really apply this uh, integrative systems-based approach to medicine. So, Dr. Jonas, thanks for taking a few minutes and, and talking with us. And I want to uh, start off uh, asking you a question about, you said at one point in a, a blog post, I think I read, um, you said we define healing as the process of recovery, repair, reintegration, and the return to wholeness, um, and how it may apply uh, to healing in general, but also to addiction and chronic pain. And I know you've worked in chronic pain for many years. Yes, thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. And thank you for having me both on this uh, interview as well as, uh, as at your annual conference. I'm looking forward to it. I think uh, the um, IFM conferences are really some of the most cutting edge and exciting ones going on. Uh, today, and I'm really happy to participate. Um, so let me talk a little bit about the term salutogenesis. It's actually a term that, uh, uh, that I didn't coin. It was coined by uh, Antony Antonovsky um, uh, back in the 1980s uh, to refer to the process of healing. The, the term literally means uh, the genesis of healing. You know, most of us studying in the textbook of pathogenesis or pathology, which is pathos is disease and genesis is the creation of disease. So we learned a lot about how disease happens, uh, but uh, what was happening simultaneously with pathogenesis uh, was healing because we wouldn't be around unless uh, healing genesis, saluto is heal and genesis is uh, to create, if that wasn't going on continually. And so Salutogenesis is the science of how healing occurs and the process of healing. And by studying that, we can uh, really take a different lens in healthcare. Uh, instead of looking at just simply stopping the pathology, we can look at reversing uh, pathology by enhancing our own inherent healing capacity. Not only the reversing pathology, but also preventing it from occurring in the first place because uh, healing processes are going on continually within us when we're 
bombarded by you know the stresses, strains, traumas of, of life. And uh, to the extent that our recovery processes, repair process, reintegration processes are intact and robust, uh, the less likely it is that pathology will emerge. So it's really the science of healing. And it is the fundamental focus behind uh, what I believe um, IFM folks are taught, uh, certainly what integrative medicine philosophy has, has held. And making this available to, uh, on a wide scale is really what, uh, what I'm interested in now and what's needed if we're going to save our nation from the increasing costs and declining outcomes that are occurring. So in terms of you, you've also talked about uh, the opioid epidemic as really a chronic pain mismanagement problem. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's been so much focus on the opioid epidemic in the last few years. You know, two presidential commissions, every state in the union, guidelines coming out uh, from um, CDC, NIH, uh, JCO, many, many other groups. Um, and they're almost all focused first and foremost on reducing the intake of opioids. And that's laudable. It's very important. Opioids have a very important role in treating pain, but very specific and much more um, narrow and restricted than, than what we have used them for. Uh, but what most of these commissions and guidelines, not all of them, but most of them have failed to recognize is that the opioid epidemic is really just the symptom of a, a more fundamental underlying problem we have, which is a mismanagement of pain, of chronic pain problem. There's over 100 million people in the country who have chronic pain, costs over $600 billion a year. Uh, and uh, unless we uh, learn how to take care of that pain and help people recover from and manage that pain uh, without just throwing pills at them, including opioids, um, we're not really uh, addressing the root causes. And so looking for non-pharmacological approaches to pain, learning how to implement those uh, rapidly and effectively in one's practice is really the underlying solution to the opioid problem, not simply restricting opioids. Uh, um, and so I think uh, we need to broaden the lens, not narrow it, uh, again, to the whole person. And you've talked about in your as I mentioned, your uh, book, How Healing Works, you talked about this tool you called the Hope Note, which is healing-oriented practices and environments. And I, I, I thought it was a very uh, useful concept. And, and I wonder if you could describe um, that tool a little bit and how you use it and how that changes your interactions with your patients. Yes, I'd be happy to. You know, I think all, all of your listeners are familiar with and have probably been trained in what's called the SOAP note. Uh, that's the subjective objective assessment and plan. And, uh, you know, as soon as a patient walks in the room in a mainstream or a conventional medical encounter, they're immediately put into the SOAP box because we've structured everything around it. You have to write a SOAP note at the end of the encounter 
Um, the electronic medical record is structured around the soap. Research is structured around the soap. Payment and reimbursement is structured around the soap. And it's very good for narrowing down and identifying a particular you know, diagnosis and its treatment uh, and then being able to implement that uh, and get, get it covered and get it paid for. Um, but the soap note uh, tends to miss uh, a good 80% of what we know leads to health and healing in the encounter. This is lifestyle and behavior is rarely addressed uh, in a standard medical soap note. Uh, the social and emotional dimension of a human being and the spiritual dimension of the human being, um, what matters to them, you know, uh, is, is also rarely uh, addressed. And we've not structured our encounter around that. And so the purpose of a HOPE note, which stands for a healing-oriented practices and environments note, is to ask those other questions. It's to ask, first of all, what matters to the patient? Uh, you know, why are they, not just for their health, but in their life? Why do they get up in the morning? Why do they want to have health? Um, truly starting with a patient-centered question like that. And then expanding uh, that to identify the underlying personal determinants of health. And for the most part, those fall into two categories. One involves their behavior and lifestyle, uh, sleep, uh, nutrition, exercise, uh, and social and emotional environment. And in many, in many cases, also the social, what we call the social determinants of health. Increasingly in this country, there are those that don't even live in a place where they can get healthy food, for example, uh, or they don't have transportation, uh, or they don't have the education or knowledge to be able to engage in the behavior change. And so those social determinants need to be addressed. And the HOPE note then begins uh, to ask those questions. And, and afterwards, the plan that's developed is a personalized health plan. It's a plan uh, that uh, is patient-centered, connected to what matters, and addresses their underlying personal determinants of health and healing, uh, which taps into that other 80% that the soap note generally misses. Mm -hmm. That gets me to thinking about the, the interaction that we all have with our patients, uh, these one-on-one -on -one interactions. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about the... Um, uh, the way that uh, generally we have uh, interacted with patients in this one-on-one -on -one environment as opposed to a group visit or, um, you know, how to, uh, how to be able to uh, uh, get people to change within uh, the society that they live in and having these one-on-one -on -one interactions, um, is that enough or is there more that uh, the a, a physician or a clinician should be doing or should be looking towards to try to uh, connect them to their larger uh, their their larger environment because of course that one-on-one -on -one interaction even if it's uh, you know uh, uh, every other month or something is is just a small part of what that uh, what that individual is going to experience so it can it can catalyze them, but then where do they go? No, I think you're exactly right. And uh, we do need to have a way to support the, uh, the patient as they engage in their personalized health plan that comes out of a HOPE note uh, and comes out of an integrative health encounter 
otherwise, it's just uh, empty dialogue. You identify the under, underlying components, but there's no way to help people you know, get there. And so uh, the way our healthcare system should be structured, it should be structured, and in many cases, it is structured this way. There are increasing um, uh, practices that are doing this, and I think you're going to have some examples of that uh, at the IFM conference from the Veterans Administration, the Defense Department, and, and other groups. Uh, but what I have in my what I do in my practice is that after we have this dialogue around the personal determinants, then I will connect the patient to tools and resources that will then help them uh, move towards accomplishing their goals. And there's a number of ways to do that. A health coach is usually uh, very helpful in that uh, regard. Once uh, I've narrowed down with the patient what it is that they would like to do and sort of help them focus in on their initial uh, goals and plans, then uh, I'll connect them with a health coach and uh, they will work with the health coach uh, to set up the specific uh, uh, agenda and specific behaviors and help them get, get going on their plan. And then I'll check in with them periodically to see if there needs to be adjustment. Another way to do that is, uh, is through group visits. Group visits are a very powerful way um, for other patients to, in a sense, become the health coaches for everybody else. Uh, very often in a group visit, uh, they find that they have some common goals. For example, nutrition is often something that emerges for people with chronic pain. They want to know how to improve their nutrition and their diet. They realize that their lifestyle is, is contributing to their pain, but they don't know how to move it along. And if they do it in a group, they can learn frequently from others who have perhaps solved those particular problems and then can give them some tips on to do, to do that. And then there are a variety of tools that can be used that help facilitate people in their behavior change. Electronic tools like you know, heart rate valve feedback devices to assist them in, uh, in relaxation response, imagery components, uh, uh, and ways of tracking those types of things. So, uh, so setting up and designing a practice then to pick up on where they're ready to make those changes so that they can be successful in those changes then uh, can launch them and help uh, them continue on their healing journey. Yes, that's very well stated. You um, Clearly, you're still in, in private practice and you've transitioned from uh, the Samueli Institute and, and uh, I'm not sure if you've maintained a private practice all that time, but I know you've also had a, a number of over the years and you continue to have a number of initiatives with the Department of Defense and, and the uh, VA and uh, these military initiatives. Can you talk a little bit about what you've done uh, with the military and also how that uh, system is a bit different and, and maybe some of the challenges of of working with the military versus working with uh, um, uh, private insurance, which you also have uh, been working through. Yes, I've maintained a private practice really throughout my career because, uh, in my opinion, that's uh, keeping the boots on the ground is is really you know what uh, what I love as a physician and uh, and what I was trained for. Even though I did a lot of research and other policy issues, as you've as you've discussed, uh, so. Um, uh, my, my goals right now in working both with the private sector, both on the civilian, the VA, and the military side, is to see if we can take 
the concept of integrative health, and, uh, and I, I have a particular definition of integrative health that we can talk about in a minute. Uh, I think we should start, start using, and it's a little different than uh, perhaps uh, what has been used in the past. Uh, but what I'm interested now in doing is taking the concept of integrative health and really making it a, the general practice, uh, making it routine for all practices and not be a special practice that somebody goes into because they you know, want to be a functional medicine or a holistic uh, provider or something like that, but really embed it into the standard practice. And so I see patients uh, uh, now within a, a family medicine program. It's a large residency training program. It's a standard conventional family medicine. Lots of patients running through every 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and I'm interested in working, and I'm also working very closely with the VA through something called the Cover Commission, which is a federal advisory board for the VA, to see how can we generalize integrative health so it becomes part of what every provider does within a large system. And I think if we can do it within the VA and the, and the DOD, which is happening, then we can do it on the outside. There are some differences and challenges. Um, uh, uh, one of the main ones have to do with reimbursement. Uh, the VA and the DOD are capitated systems, so once patients are in there, uh, they have almost everything covered, but not everything. There's a lot of nutritional uh, types of things uh, that are not covered within those systems. Uh, for example, I had a patient the other day who um, got some good relief for her chronic back pain with yoga, but we didn't have a therapeutic yoga practitioner in our in our private in our in our uh, military setting, and so we had to figure out how do we coordinate uh, and and uh, get a, a yoga therapist uh, working with her on the team. How do we get some of that covered, et cetera? So, uh, so some of those uh, issues are the same. But my interest really is in making this routine. Uh, you shouldn't have to necessarily. Uh, become a specialist in holistic or functional medicine, although I would encourage all of your listeners to do that. Uh, but uh, you know, if you're in an environment where uh, you can't do that, you can still engage in integrative health dialogue. You can still begin to change your practice so that you do the hope note, you can, you can create teams to create an optimal healing environment, uh, and you can do integrative health now, uh, even, um, even though uh, some of the uh, payment challenges, et cetera, are are still there. On my website, I actually have a toolkit uh, that uh, is available for uh, providers that takes them through both how to do a hope note as well as how to then tap into some of the tools that I mentioned before. Uh, and we're now putting together a, a coverage or a coding and reimbursement process to show those who are not in a capitated system like the VA and the DOD how to actually code for and bill for those types of things so that they can do it even in a fee-for-service environment. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's, I think, a, a wonderful way to describe all of that. And so finally, I'd like to just um, have you describe a little bit um, uh, what you're going to be doing at the annual conference, the, the uh, presentation you're going to give on on uh, uh, lessons on stress, pain, and resilience. Could you talk about that for, for a moment or two? Yes, I'll be happy to. I'm, I'm doing two things at the conference. One is I'm gonna give a keynote talk that uh, uh, sets the why we need to do integrative health. Uh, 
if we want to save our country from the escalating cost of health care and the declining outcomes, uh, and we want to prevent things like the next opioid epidemic, which is around the corner if we don't get at the root causes of healing. So we'll talk about that uh, and talk about really the why uh, the importance of integrative health functional medicine's time has come. And then in the afternoon, I'm going to do a workshop, which uh, I hope will help people get down into the nuts and bolts of how to actually uh, do an integrative health visit in their practice, even if they're in a situation where they have to see patients every 20 or 30 minutes. Um, so it'll be basically, uh, here's how you do the hope, here's what the tools are, here's the questions that are asked, here's how it gets uh, coded and reimbursed. Uh, and here's how you do it tomorrow. So hopefully by the time they leave, they'll be able to begin to implement uh, an integrative health visit. And I want to re—I want to define for people integrative health, which I see as uh, different than integrative medicine. Integrative medicine is the merger of conventional medicine and evidence-based complementary modalities, uh, such as acupuncture and yoga, mind-body practices, et cetera. But integrative health, is the merger of those two things and self-care, behavior change. Because we know that that uh, 60 to 70, if not more percent of the chronic diseases we face today uh, can be prevented and in many cases even treated or reversed uh, if we effectively implement self-care. So integrative health is the merger of conventional medical care, evidence-based complementary medicine, and, uh, and effective behavior and self-care delivery. It's that uh, merger of those three areas that's integrative health. And of course, we all want it to be evidence-based and it should be evidence-based. And so I'll talk about some of the science and the research behind those kinds of practices. Well, thank you, Dr. Jonas. And I look forward to hearing both of them. Well, I look forward to coming and thank you very much for inviting me.